Good morning. Good morning, good morning. He is risen. Wow, we are chatty this morning. We love to see it. Uh, welcome back. I hope you all had a restful um, spring break, Easter week off. Um, it was beautiful outside and now it's really hot, so I'm not sure I'm ready quite yet for this weather, but here we are. Uh, we are coming to a close on Bible study for this season, which is crazy to say. I can't believe it's been that long already. I think Shannon probably can. She's like, I'm done studying Daniel. Um, so I just wanted to make sure that you all knew on the screen, this is our last, these are the, this is the last day of Bible study um, for summer break. Uh, we'll be ending May 2nd. So we have four more weeks together and then we will be done May 2nd and 3rd. That will also be applicable for high school. They will be done on the 3rd as well. So just wanted to make sure that you knew that. If you need to take a picture, if you know that someone's not here today, uh, that usually comes, take a picture and send it to them just so they know. Uh, I posted it on social media as well, but I'll be keeping, I'll keep uh, reminding you up until then. There will be some exciting things for you to watch out for this summer in regards to Shannon. We're hoping to uh, get a new podcast up and running that's more topical and conversational. So if she will uh, let me be the boss of her, I will make sure that we put some things out this summer, uh, but still give her obviously some time to rest. So that is all I have for you this morning. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and stay cool out there. Uh, yeah, there's water there. <clears throat> Good morning. Did y'all enjoy your spring break? Mine was kind of busy. Uh, the reason I even chose that week of spring break was um, my, I call her my adopted daughter, uh, Amanda. I was her Bible teacher. I was her teacher when she was 13. And um, she just stuck to me like glue. And um, I've just kept her for life. And now she's 33 and just got married. Um, she's a cop in Mesa. And so that was a lot of fun. But I left, you know, Tuesday morning. I told y'all I wasn't feeling good. Do you remember that? And I thought, oh, I was fine. I talked to people after. I felt fine. I got in the car. I started driving home. And this wave of nausea came over me. And I'm like, oh, Lord, get me home. Please get me home. Don't let me get sick on the way home. And so I laid on the couch for two days with some kind of stomach bug that I hear every, you know, so many people have gotten, but because I put it out on Instagram, uh, Lindsay McCall, the recording artist that travels with me, she texts me, she goes, are you sick? And I said, yes, ma'am. I said, I am, I have a stomach, fierce stomach bug. And she goes, me too. She was on the same trip with me. She goes, I am on my couch right now. Um, trying to keep it together. And I go, well, we hugged hundreds of women. I said, so whatever's out there, we've got it. But the good thing is, is I got through Tuesday morning, so it was on video so everybody else could watch. And that is convenient um, because then, you know, they would be behind and I'd be in big trouble. Um, so, but the weekend uh, when it came up, I had a wedding to prepare for in Florence, not Italy, Florence, Arizona. I live in Vistancia, 
okay? That's two hours from me. So I was going back and forth from Florence, living in my car. So Saturday was the rehearsal, and uh, we did all that jazz. So I was on that in that part of the world. I didn't even know the East Valley went that far. I mean, what in the world? But I can tell you, they got real cute houses over there. Like in the East Valley, they got Borden Batten and different looking. I'm like, what's wrong with the West Valley? Why can't we get some of that look over here? You know, but I, I don't, I don't live. I don't. I'm not an East Valley girl, so, but we did that on uh, Saturday night was all the rehearsal, and then Sunday I spoke in Wickenburg at a really cool event. Um, it was called Wow Christian Women of Wickenburg, and it was at the Flying J uh, Ranch, which somehow Taylor and I missed this whole deal. I just knew the address. I knew where I was going and what I was supposed to do. I mean, I was barely keeping up with my life at that moment. I was so mad. I got out of that car and I'm like, I am in pants and heels. I could be in boots. Like, these are my people. And I missed the opportunity the whole night. I was trying not to go through the floorboards with my heel of whatever, but it was so awesome, beautiful out on that ranch. And I was able to get up and speak to these amazing women from all the churches of Wickenburg. And it was super powerful. And uh, it's such a pleasure. So I drove back that night and then um, Monday was the wedding. So I was over in Florence, spent the night, came back Tuesday. And in the meantime, everybody I love has a birthday at the beginning of April. So we were partying. By the time Thursday came around, I was like, did I have a spring break? And then it was Easter. But wasn't it a beautiful day? Yes, it was a beautiful day. Holidays are hard for me, uh, but I got through it. And you may hear a little bit about it. So um, we have four more weeks together. I don't know about you, but I'm crawling to the end, okay? Uh, but the last section of Daniel, chapter 10, 11, and 12, they all fit together, okay? And so chapter 10 is basically, it is a prep and an intro to this last vision um, that Daniel is given about the future. And um, at the end of the day, I hope that you've learned something I hope at the end of the day that you have received the message of Daniel, which is remain faithful, endure, have courage, um, have joy because God is in control. That, that's the main thing. And whether or not we agree or disagree on end time theology, we all agree. Guess what? Three days later, he rose and we're on the winning team, and it was finished at the cross. And whether or not I fly out of here with you and say, my bad, or we're waiting for the king's return, either way, we are on the winning team. But to study, I don't think we should uh, fail to study certain books because we're afraid we're going to disagree about the end times. And I do believe we avoid certain books because of that. And I don't think we have to, because in the midst of that, we get great courage and great reminder that God is in control. And we're going to hear it again today. So open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 10. And let me pray, because I need him. Lord, I just thank you for today. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this time of year, the spring, 
where everything seems new. And Lord, although we got to warm really quick, and I thank you for the sunshine. I thank you for this last weekend that we remember that you absolutely paid our debt. You fulfilled every promise that you made about the coming of the Messiah, Lord, that you came and you dwelt among us, you tabernacled among us, the temple, and and you lived out the life we could not live, and you died on that cross, and you paid our debt, and you came out of that grave three days later, and you ushered in the kingdom of heaven. And Lord, I get excited when I think about the story continuing and the fact that Once again, you use language, not to divide, but this time to bring together the body of Christ. And man, did you light the fire with the tongues of fire. And not to slow down sin, but to light something on fire to get it going, and that is the church. And we are called to go with that gospel and to make disciples of all men. May we never lose sight of that. That is our calling. That is our commission. And so may we be about the Father's business. Um, Lord, keep our eye on that, that you are at work, you're always at work, and that we have a purpose, and we need to be involved in the Father's business. And, uh, and when we hurt and we have pain and we're frustrated and we don't understand, that we would be able to stand in your love and to trust that you are in control and there's more going on than the eye can see. And the cross and the resurrection tells me, Lord, you are so trustworthy. There is nothing um, you cannot do. And so may I abide in that. I sure love you and help me teach hard things that even my mind sometimes can't, I can't understand it. So Lord, I need your Holy Spirit to teach today through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here we go. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding regarding the vision. We talked about some of this last time. I reminded you uh, that Cyrus conquered Babylon in about 539 BC. Um, Cyrus, either being synonymous with Darius or leaving him in charge, But two years after the decree allowing um, God's people to return, the Israelites to return, um, only one caravan really got started. Some say there were about 50,000 people in that caravan under the leadership of Zerubbabel. And they went back in order to rebuild the temple. And if you read about it a lot in Ezra, you will see, I mean, it, it's amazing the fact that this Persian king allowed them to go home and begin to rebuild their temple. And not only did he allow them to do that, he funded it. Um, but the fact is many didn't return. They had made a life in the Babylonian empire. And, um, and so they, they remained. They did not come back to Jerusalem But those that did came back and and it seemed at first like, man, such a joyous occasion that they were free and this caravan could come back and begin rebuilding the temple. But we find out that it wasn't long before they faced some real conflict. They faced um, all kinds of opposition in rebuilding this temple. There was all kinds of corruption going on and, uh, and really 
power struggle amongst uh, the Persian people and the Israelite people. We know that Daniel didn't go. Uh, We don't know why. I mean, we aren't told all the details of why. We can assume one reason being what? He's old. His age. I mean, he is in the high 80s. um, And so that's a really hard trip to go back, a hard life, to be able to live and rebuild homes and be a part of rebuilding the temple. We can also assume that maybe because of his role still of influence in government, that he would be uh, more influential remaining behind. And we know that he was influential in his prayer, that although he could not go and begin the process of rebuilding, he could definitely get on his knees and pray for the people. And maybe that is what he could do uh, that that brought more influence than actually swinging a hammer or taking that trip. It reminds me of David in a way, and the fact that God really put on his heart to, where it was on David's heart to build God a house, but yet David wasn't the one to build it, right? Solomon was the one to build it. Sometimes we are called to start a work that other people finish, And isn't that how it is? We work together as the body of Christ and you begin a good work. God is faithful. He will complete it. He may just not complete it through you. I hope that's the case. I hope that I can start something that other people will finish. And it's it's almost what we talk about when we, we look about planting seeds. When you plant seeds in other people's lives, you may not ever see that uh, grow to fruition, but what? Somebody else will come along and they will water that seed and they will walk alongside that person and you will see it happen. So Daniel did not go. He remained behind. We talked about the fact that isn't it interesting that he refers to himself again as Belshazzar. It's been 70, at least when we know 70 years. And so why does he do that? Um, Many people think, and I don't think this is wrong, that this is is an official setting for this part uh, to make sure that we know who this is that is actually telling this vision at such a late date. This is still the original Daniel that was taken into exile this many years ago, the one that was called Belshazzar. But it also brings our mind back to the beginning of when he was first put in exile. And when he was first put in exile, we have phrases running through of, and God gave Jehoiakim into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. And we talked about it in week, I don't know, three or four, when we finally got to the first verse, um, about the fact that although it looks like Babylon is in control, who is actually in control? God. It was God who gave Jehoiakim into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. And so once again, we're coming back to that section, the fact that the Lord, we've come back full circle, that the Lord is in control. We also are reminded with the fact of all of these 70 years, this same Daniel, this same Belshazzar has remained what? Faithful. After all these years, he has remained faithful and he doesn't get to return. He doesn't really get to see the fruit of that by returning to the promised land. Who does that remind you of? How about Moses? Moses, 
those 40 years in the wilderness with those stiff-necked people that you know you would, I mean, come on. They would make anybody crack, right? They nearly made God crack. I am going to start, I'm going to destroy these people and start over from scratch. And Moses, you know what that is? That's that parent saying, I brought you into this world. I'm going to take you out. And Moses says, oh Lord, yes, they deserve that. But for your name's sake, let's not. For your name's sake, because you are righteous, right? And so here we see that after all 70 years, he has been in exile, a man of influence, and he has remained faithful all of these years, and he has waited to see the return of his people. And man, it ain't going too good. It is not going good at all. And uh, you know what is amazing to me is Daniel never seems to get bitter. I'm going to talk about this a little bit more, I think, later, but he doesn't get bitter. Isn't that hard to think about all of those years living through one thing after another, remaining faithful, and now they finally get out uh, of exile and they can go home. And it's like the minute they get there, the next punch comes and, and you just are like, oh, when will this end? It says, in these days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks and I ate no delicacies, no meat, no wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. We are later told that he did this so that he could have understanding. He is grieving over the future of his people. He is grieving for what is going on in Jerusalem. He is, he's hearing everything that they're going through, and he is grieving over it. Um, it says that he did not eat. He fasted because he sought understanding, which tells you that his diet did not remain the same, by the way, that it was at the beginning when he refused to eat meat and wine. Do you remember that? Okay. That, that did not, he didn't live like that forever. All right. So this whole Daniel diet where you drink water and just eat veggies. Okay. This wasn't, <laughs> this wasn't a lifetime of that. He did that to hold to his covenant at the beginning in crisis. And now he is doing it again, denying himself those things again, because there is a crisis going on and he is seeking spiritual understanding. And so he is fasting, but it also says that he did not anoint himself with oil. And I laugh because it's kind of like our um, environment here, incredibly dry. And by not uh, anointing yourself or putting any oils on you, literally he was was turning to ash. I know because I don't drink water. And my friends think I'm going to die and I'm going to look like a raisin as I get older. I'm not thirsty. So I have to remind myself and try to force myself to drink water. And so not only was he turning to ash, which reminds you of mourning, okay, but the anointing of oil is a symbol of joy. It is gladness. I want you to see something. Look at Isaiah 61, 3. It's talking about the Lord, year of the Lord's favor. It says, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, 
the oil of gladness instead of mourning and the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That's just one example, but oil, the anointing of oil is a symbol of joy. So he's saying he refused to anoint himself for three days. So what is he doing? He's putting himself in the position of his people in Jerusalem that are going through so much pain. He is associating himself with that because he doesn't have to. He's in Babylon. He is a man of influence, and, but he is putting himself in that posture for his people, and he is putting himself in a state of mourning for them and grieving over what they are experiencing. And remember, it told us the exact time of year. And do you remember a couple of weeks ago what I told you was going on? Passover. And what is Passover a time of? It is a time of celebration and joy because they were remembering when God freed them from the bondage of Egypt and they were, they, two million people walked out as free singing songs going into the promised land to where they then ended up at Mount Sinai to form a covenant relationship with their God. They are remembering this amazing, beautiful thing that happened. But what is Daniel feeling? He was hoping for that kind of uh, exit back to Jerusalem. But what has happened? It's not, y'all can talk to me, you wake. It's not that kind of exit. They have gotten back and literally uh, there, there's a scripture in my mind. I can't remember where it is, but it talked about, you know, the fact that they would leave their harps hanging on the willow trees when they went into exile because how could they ever sing the songs of God as they went into exile? What they're finding out is now they've come back and what? They still aren't able to sing those songs. That it, it hasn't turned out. They have had all kinds of hardships and opposition and they have had such opposition, you guys, that they actually stopped building the temple. They stopped, they're halted for 15 years. Nothing gets done and they're doing good to even figure out a way to make a living to survive in their homes. It's a bad time. And so Daniel has gone through the Passover of celebration of remembrance of God delivering his people. And what he is realizing is this is not what is happening. And so he is grieving. And, um, and he's, he's received a very difficult vision. It's hard and it is about a great conflict. And so it goes on to say um, this, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, I'm going to talk about that, but the years of bondage were just getting started. Cyrus's decree saw only one initial caravan and the rebuilding was slow. They were starting to be resistant already, um, getting resistance from all sides, all their neighbors. It stopped for 15 years. Um, and Daniel knew about it. And so don't forget, not only is that going on, but he's got the 490 years in the back of his mind. All right. And so he says that on the 24th day of the first month, he was standing at the bank of the great river. I want you to stand on the bank of that great river. In your mind, the great river Tigris that was massive. Usually it was the great river Euphrates, but this time it's talking about the Tigris. And it is this massive river that is flowing. 
and all of this is on your heart. If you've been through any kind of pain and you go out in creation and you see the things of creation, so you hike, you're on top of mountains, you see the majesty of God and you, I don't care who you are, you ponder. Or if you sit at a river and you're still long enough and you're watching this river flow, and I don't know why he's out there, but that's where he is. And you're watching that river. I, I, I promise you, you ponder your life. You ponder what is going on. Sometimes that's why I don't want to stop. Are you ever like that? I don't want to stop and sit in creation and with God because then you have to deal with all of the things that are in your guts and in your heart and all the things that you sometimes don't want to ponder. So I cannot help but daydream about what Daniel is thinking about or what brought him out to the banks of this Tigris River. But one thing we know, when you have an experience like this, this vision, you remember the exact day it happened. So I'm not surprised, he says, I, on the 24th day of the first month. Can I ask you where you were in 9-11? You'll know. Okay, when you have a life-changing, catastrophic event, you remember the day. So that doesn't surprise me at all that he tells us the exact day that he had this vision. But Daniel is a man that has spent a lifetime as a high-ranking official. He has had the ear and the respect of the leaders of his world. He has fulfilled his duty as a leader in Babylon and Persia. He has maintained a flawless reputation. But his love for his people and his God have not wavered. He has never once lost his exile identity or his purpose. Think about that. Do you know very many people that could hold that level of power for that many years and not be sucked in to the power, the prestige, the comfort? But every time we experience Daniel, he still has the mindset of a Jewish exile. Always. And he is sitting there having this mindset, remembering his purpose. He has received three direct visions from God about the future of his people, each of which involve terrible things that will happen to them. And it's almost too much to bear. He has seen what God does with the arrogant and he humbles himself. He is vulnerable and broken before the Lord, praying for understanding for three weeks. So this is all that is going on in his heart when he sits there and he watches this mighty river. This massive expanse of water was always on the move, on its irres irresistible journey. Who could stop it? Its course was set. Think about that. All of this is on his mind. He has remained humble. He has remained in exile at his heart. He has put himself in the place of his people and loved his people. He has remained faithful all of this time. He is in mourning for what is going on in Jerusalem with his people. And he is watching this river. He has already been given one vision of 490 years. And he is watching this massive river go by. I cannot help but wonder. You sit there and you watch this massive river and you think, who can stop it? The course is set. What do I matter? 
Do you ever feel that way? That life goes on? That I have no control? I'm just a cog in a wheel? I'm telling you what, I feel like that a lot. And it's lies, but I'm just telling you, I feel like that a lot. I feel like life goes on. It does not care. The course is set. This is the way it is. I cannot change that. I have no power to do anything about it. I can't stop it. And I all, and half the time I feel like, what good am I actually doing? Do you ever feel that way? Like, really? What good am I actually doing? What, what does all this matter? What is it? Am I really changing anything? Am I really influencing anything? And what does this matter? As he watches this course that is going, not to mention the fact he's sitting there watching this river. And do you remember in the last vision? God says, and the end will come like a flood. And he's remembering the vision of the 490 years and he is watching this river and all through the prophets. I'll give you an example in Isaiah 8, 5 through 8. It talks about armies coming like, like the river overflowing its banks. Like you won't be able to stop them. The river is going to overflow its banks. And so you have all of this symbolism in with this rushing river. It's on a course. It is powerful. And right now it's within its banks. But if it comes out of its banks, it's going to be destruction. I'm just wondering what all he thought about when he sat and watched that. And what is he supposed to do with all this knowledge? I mean, he can't change anything. What, what is he supposed to do? He couldn't see the end of the Tigris any more clearly than he could see the end of the destination of Israel. But the fact is, he knew the one that saw the end. He knew it. What I want you to learn to do with your scripture, these are just my thoughts, and they probably don't mean a dadgum thing to you, but inside my guts, they do mean it a lot to me. When was the last time you sat and you thought you put yourself in the place of this person? Because they're just like us. He is grieving for his people. He is mourning for what is going on and the atrocities. And it's just the next swing. They've just received the next hit. They were probably singing as they went out of Babylon. And then they get there and all of their dreams shatter. And for 15 years, the work is stalled. It's not going anywhere. And he is still in Babylon hearing the news and grieving and grieving. And he probably went down to the Tigris to weep. And he's sitting there watching all this and he's thinking about it. When is the last time you took your scripture and you put yourself in that position and you sat out in nature and you thought through your thoughts? Questions like, do I actually grieve for my brothers and sisters in Christ? Do I still have an exile mentality? Or am I just comfortable? I'm just comfortable now. Like, I don't even think about where the world's going. I just want to be comfortable where I am right now. I've, I'm not even a part of this war anymore. I've, I've backed out. I just want to create this nest of comfort around me. Life is good. And I'm going to tell you that's easy to do until all of a sudden life is not good. And then you begin to question everything. 
when you go through tragedies and trauma and you begin to question everything you thought you knew. It's painful, but the beautiful part of that is when you question and question and you seek understanding, you realize you know the one who not only sees the end of the tigers, but sees the end of all days. There are times when those of us who are believers may find the way difficult. We are faced with apparently unanswerable questions and insolvable difficulties. Many of them do with the flow of life. It is those times that we most need reassurance that there is a world beyond this one. There is a God who is real and he loves me. Daniel wanted to understand It says that in verse 12, from the first day you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before God. His whole purpose that he is doing this is he wants to understand what is going on. How bad do you want to understand? He wants to understand. And so because of that, he humbles himself. 1 Peter 5, 7, 5, 5 through 7 says this, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that you at the proper time, he may exalt you. So that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties upon him for he cares for you. You hear that last part a lot, but do you see right here? There is an, I thought about this a long time this week. There is an interesting connection between pride and and anxiety and humility and peace. Like that is a really interesting verse. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you. And then it puts anxiety with it, casting all your anxieties upon him for he cares for you. And so I I thought about that for a while and I thought, gosh, what is the connection between pride and anxiety? Pride is that I think I can control everything. I'm in charge. I can do it. I can fix it. And when you... But what does your body know? You can't. So you have all of this anxiety that is going on. But when we humble ourselves before the Lord, what is that saying? I can't. I'm not in charge of anything. I can't fix anything. I can't solve any problem. I can't figure out the future and what is coming. And so instead, what am I going to do? I'm going to humble myself before the Lord. And when I do that and I cast my cares, like I always love it when people go, let go and let God. Oh, that's okay. You know, oh, Shannon, you're carrying this weight above your head. Oh, Shannon, just let go. If I let go, that thing's going to come down and knock me out. I have to give it to someone. I have to hand it off. And that is a much better vision in your head of just letting go. Because if you're a control freak like me, let go. Who's going to catch it? None of my people are. I can tell you right now. Because I solve all their problems. 
They can't control nothing. I fix everybody's problems when the world is coming to an end. Who do they call? Me. And I want to jump off a bridge half the time because I can barely handle myself. But boy, I can solve your problems. We've got to hand it to him. I had this experience the other night. So uh, the holidays are very difficult for me. And I was tired, like I told you. And so I, I get home from church and, um, and uh, my friend is on graveyard shifts. And so he was taking a nap. And I go out and I'm looking at houses. I'm doing all kinds of stuff and I'm just having a fun day. And I come back home and I'm sitting and he's like, what's going on with you? I said, what do you mean? He said, I can feel you from here. I go, I don't know. I'm just anxious. I'm really anxious. And he's like, well, what do we know about anxiety? Anxiety is when we're trying to control the future. And I'm like, I'm like, well, all I know is that I can't. And I just started talking about all the stuff that was stressing me out that I could not control. And then at one point I just go, and it's not even about that. Nothing is about that. I'm in pain. I'm in pain. I'm in so much pain. And, and it's so shocking to be there when this happens. And I go in, everybody thinks I'm so strong. I'm not. I'm on the verge of a nervous freaking breakdown. Time goes on and you think it heals. It gets harder. It gets harder in many ways. And I said, it has nothing to do with houses or decisions or relationships or this or that or the other. It has the fact to do with I'm trying to control everything about the future because I don't want to mess up. I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to hurt. I don't want anything to go wrong. So if I pre-plan everything and I look in advance, because that's what I've always done for everyone. If I look in advance, then maybe nothing will go wrong. Maybe I can outthink it. Maybe I can prepare for it so that I'll do the right thing or I'll make the right choice or nobody will hurt me or nobody will die. And he, he just sat there and I just bawled and there's nothing you can do in that situation. I cannot imagine how Daniel feels that he, I mean, he is an influencer. He has been in the highest level of government his whole life. He has seen what God does with the proud that he humbles them. And somehow this Daniel, who's had more influence and has had so much influence on history, he remains humble and he is reminded who is in charge. And when he gets like this, he's mourning, he's grieving, he is in pain. He's not uh, a robot. He's human. He's tired. He has stayed faithful. He has watched as finally these people get to go home. And then the next thing comes. And so God hears his prayers. It is the most beautiful vision to me. It's not just about end times. All of this stuff is applicable to our lives. I can't help but think that Daniel wanted to understand with hopes of offering his people some direction, some encouragement, and some hope to leave behind a prophetic message 
Doubtless Daniel was a treasured book to the people for centuries. They knew they would experience trials and persecutions, and yet they knew the Lord would be faithful. When one day we gather in heaven, we will discover what happened to God's people on earth depended a great deal on the prayers of burdened people like Daniel. I just wonder, do you feel the burden of other people? Do you feel the burden of the oppressed and, and our brothers and sisters in Christ in other countries and other worlds and what is going on with them? And Jeremiah, Jeremiah asked the question in Jeremiah 15, 5, for who will have pity on you, Jerusalem? Or who will bemoan you? Or who will turn aside to ask how you are doing? Jeremiah cried all through his prophecies. He cried for Jerusalem. We know that Nehemiah did. If you read Nehemiah 1, starting in verse 4, he is grieving for his people, grieving for them. And you know what ends up happening? God makes him a part of the solution. That is a point to be made. When we grieve over something, when God moves you in a certain area, you better be prepared that if he has caused you to grieve over that situation, that he just might use you as a solution in that situation. Right? How many times do we grieve and ask God, why aren't you doing something about it? And you know what he's saying? Why aren't you doing something about it? If you're that moved, if you're that grieved, maybe that is there as a motivation for you to be a part of that solution. And that's what he did with Nehemiah when he sets out and Nehemiah sets out to rebuild the walls. Jesus came out of Jerusalem, and what did he do? He wept. He wept over Jerusalem. And Paul, Paul loved his people so much, he said it would better that I would be condemned, that all of you would be saved. Do I care that much is the question I put here. Do I care that much? You would think that I would, that that would just be an easy answer. But can I just tell you, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I don't. I sit back and I really, and I say to myself, Shannon, do you really care about people that much? Do you really love them enough? You try. And do you understand? This is a 70 years of service that Daniel has, and he still loves these stiff-necked people this much. One caravan went back when they were freed, and he is grieving over them, and he is mourning over them, and he is fasting so that he can understand why, so that he can give them any amount of encouragement that they need to keep going. 1 Corinthians 12 is a good place to ask yourself. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 through 26 the question, do you really care? Hebrews 13, 3. Daniel says, I lifted up, I mean, Daniel says, I lifted up my eyes and looked and behold a man clothed in linen with a bell, belt of fine gold 
that was around his waist. His body was like beryl, which is like a translucent, flashing stone, gemstone, like, like almost crystal clear, but flashing, like radiant. His face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, also saw... And I, Daniel, also saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled and hid themselves. It reminds me of the Israelites at Mount Sinai, when God told them to prepare and come to the bottom of the mountain, that he, had, he wanted to have a word with them. Um, and when he did, it scared the bejeevers out of them so bad that they went back and said, I tell you what, Moses, uh, we have a new idea. We would rather God speak to you so that you could speak to us, right? Because there is something that when you are in the presence of the divine, it's fear. You remember where you were standing and you remember the exact date. Does this also remind you of Saul? You're like, I don't know, Shannon, tell me the story about Saul. Y'all are wait. Do y'all read your Bible? What is going on? Do you remember when God, the Lord shows up to Saul on the road to Damascus, right? The bright light. Do you remember that no one around him, like the other guys with him did not see the vision, but they fled? So this is the deal. Only Daniel saw the vision, but they felt it. They felt the presence of God. And when they felt it, they fled, Okay, to be in the presence of God is a life-shattering event. Um, the question that people ask is, who is this? Well, that's a very good question. Um, if you read it, it may, if, you know, if you've ever read the book of Revelation, it reminds you of Revelation chapter 1, um, where John sees the Lord. And, and it's, if you go and you look at Revelation chapter one, it is almost the exact same verbiage. You're going to see some of that same verbiage in Ezekiel one. Okay. So, so there's, um, there's two thoughts here, maybe even three. Um, some think it is a Christophany. It is appearance of the Lord. Okay. Pre-incarnate Christ. Um, it is the same that John saw of what Daniel would see. There's going to be a problem with that as we read through the chapter, because as we read through the chapter, we're going to find out that at one point he is stalled by the prince of Persia, which is um, a fallen angel. We're going to talk about you're like, what? Yeah, it's coming. And um, that he was stalled and that Michael had to come assist him um, for him to then bring the word. Well, if that's the Lord, I got a problem with that. Because the Lord doesn't need any assistance um, in a spiritual battle. Some say Gabriel, um, although it does not use his name, but it would follow suit with some of Daniel's other visions. Of um, so it's it, and other people say that it is some angelic being that puts forth this image of the brilliancy of God of the Lord. Okay. Then there is a school of thought that says, actually, it's both. That it is a vision of Christ. And when he has that vision, he faints. We should not be shocked. 
All right, because every time it seems that God pulls back, do you remember the word apocalypse? To pull back the veil, when we get to see into the heavenly realm, the divine, when we see that, what's our response? Okay, I don't know if that's where they get slain in the spirit or not, but y'all know my story about that, all right? I do believe if I truly met God, he could put me on my face. I would fall on my face, right? I definitely don't need to be hit twice or called by name, all right? But here's the thing, I don't know, all right? I I don't know. I I can see all of that, and it doesn't matter as far as the big picture goes of what we're supposed to learn from this scripture. I mean, part of me, I think, okay, I can see that that was Jesus and that he fainted and that the angel then came to tend to him and spoke to him about the vision that he had just seen. I can see that. Um, I can see it for this reason. Um, I wrote frequently in the biblical account, you find the Lord Jesus appearing to his servant in special times, either to deliver a special message or prepare them for a special ministry. He usually appears in a fashion compatible with their circumstances or their calling. I'll give you an example. Um, Abraham, he was a wanderer. And so the Lord appeared to him as a traveler. Uh, Jacob, Jacob was a schemer. So the Lord appeared to him as a wrestler or a wrestler if you're from Arkansas. Um, There was Joshua. Joshua was about to lead uh, the, the conquering of Jericho. So the Lord appears to him as the commander of the Lord's armies. You have Isaiah, which you're gonna has such a, a kingdom theme all through, and he, uh, Isaiah is gonna see the Lord seated on the throne, and then you have John and Daniel, who are both exiles. One is exiled in Babylon, one is exiled at, in Patmos, and they see the veil pulled back, and they get to see this radiant priest king um, that is there. So in other words, they are getting the message. There is more going on than you can see. All right. That, that's the message. There's more going on than you can see. It goes on to say, so I was left alone and I saw this great vision and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words. And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground and behold, a hand touched me, set me trembling on my knees, my hands and knees. And he said to me, oh, Daniel, man greatly loved understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for now I have been sent to you. See, that's another issue with me. One that is sent. So that makes me think angel, right? That there, an angel was sent to comfort him. It says, was sent to you. And when he had spoken these words to me, I stood up trembling 
Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Wow. So... I'm okay with the fact it is a vision of the Lord or something that literally sent him to the floor. He passed out. It says, then a hand touched him. This is what I love. So this angelic being then, you just see so much tenderness and comfort. It says, and behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling. All he could do is get him up at least on his hands and knees right? He's on his hands and knees. And then what did he say to him? Daniel. (laughs) He's still on his hands and knees. You are greatly loved. You're okay. You're all right, Daniel. You're greatly loved. And it says that, and he said, Daniel, you are greatly loved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand up. Come on. Come on. He's Late 80s, you guys. Hit the floor. He's weak. I mean, this is a deal. He gets him up on his hands and knees, tells him he's greatly loved. Come on, I need you to listen to me. I need you to understand the words that I'm here to tell you. And he set him finally upright. All right. He says, he's got him up on his feet now. And he says, now I've been sent to you. Okay. And he said, by this time, he began to speak words. I was standing, but I was still trembling, right? And then what does he say to him? Fear not. He says, fear not. From the first day you set your heart to understand and you humbled yourself, you were heard. Fear not. That's all through scripture. You know it is. Anytime that they are impacted with the supernatural, our first thought is what? Our emotion is fear. And he's saying, fear not, fear not. Come on, you're fine. I'm getting you up. You are greatly loved. Let me stand you up because I want you to understand. I've been sent to you. And from the moment you set out uh, to understand, I was sent to tell you something. And the first thing I want you to know is fear not. I was sent because of your words. Can you think think about that? We're hearing in this chapter, there is a cosmic battle going on. And we're going to talk about that a lot. There is a cosmic battle going on behind the veil in the heavenly realms, a major war. And in the middle of that war, Daniel's prayer was so important and stopped everything that in the middle of that war that is going on, God sent forth this angel to come to Daniel, to tend to Daniel, to give him understanding. How powerful is prayer? Humility and prayer. The fact that he stopped everything. Then he gets stuck for 21 days. And Michael is sent 
to help him and free him because this message was so important because Daniel was so greatly loved that God wanted him to have understanding about the days to come. He wanted him to have that kind of understanding. Let's talk about uh, the elephant in the room. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. Does that freak you out? Okay. Uh, I don't believe this is an earthly prince, but a supernatural being who fights on behalf of that human kingdom, Persia. Uh, this evil angel was assigned to see to it that the king of Persia did what Satan wanted him to. All right. These verses give us a hint at the cosmic battle that parallels our earthly struggles of God's people. It is a pulling back of the veil per se. I'm going to give you some scripture. We've talked about these scriptures before. Okay. If you weren't here in my other studies, you would be like, what is going on? Deuteronomy 32. I'm just going to show you some things and you can go study it on your own. Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9. It says, And when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, when did that happen? When did he divide mankind? You better know that. How often do I talk about Babel? Right? Is it just a bunch of Babel to you? Is that what's happening here? Okay, when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. I'm going to tell you that I believe the sons of God is almost always a reference to angelic beings. How you're going to see that also in um, Genesis chapter 6 when it says, And the sons of God married the daughters of men. And it says, And the Nephilim were on the earth in, the day, in that day, the men of renown. Um, that's a funky situation. All right. But um, the sons of God are a reference to that. So it is showing us that there are possibly um, territorial spirits, different spirits that were put over different territories of the world. Look at Isaiah 24. Isaiah 24, 21 through 23. It's talking about the judgment of the whole earth. It says, on that day, the Lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven and the kings of the earth on the earth. They will be gathered together as prisoners in a pit. They will be shut up in a prison, and after many days, they will be punished. In that scenario, it seems like some things have gone wrong in the heavenly realms. Um, we know, has Satan been cast out? Yes, for rebellion against God. Did certain angels follow him? Yes, okay, and so somehow there has been a breakdown in the heavenly realm, and so there will not only be a judgment on the earth, but there will be a judgment in the heavenly realms, okay? Because they did not deal correctly. Look at Psalm 82. I think I sent you to Psalm 82 last year, or I don't remember. It could be this year. 
God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. Okay, what would be in the midst of the gods? The sons of God, divine beings. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, son of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. Study that a little bit. Because it is talking about, I believe, divine beings that stepped outside their authority. They did not rule under the authority of God, but followed um, the way of Satan. And because of that, there is a judgment that is awaiting them. Here's the thing. We know that there is a cosmic battle going on. This battle of good and evil. Where did it start? Genesis 3, I will put hatred between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. You will bruise his heel. He will crush your head. One of the things that we are seeing out of this chapter in Daniel is that these verses give us a hint of the cosmic battle that is going on. There is an invisible war going on. Satan has a well-organized army of evil spirits. Ephesians 6 tells us so. That we actually aren't fighting against what? Flesh and blood. We're fighting against powers and principalities, a well-organized anti-Christ system, a system that is opposite of God's kingdom. It is evil. That is what we're truly fighting against. And he tells us this in Ephesians 6, and he tells us how do we fight it? We put on the full armor of God, right? The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. We have all these, these uh, protections. Do you realize that there's nothing for the back? Because we don't run. That's why. We don't run. We stand. Be of good courage. We stand strong and we move forward. And how do we move forward? It talks about the fact that we go forth that the sword of the spirit. This is a spiritual battle. It is a battle against the spirit. So what do we do? We preach the word in the spirit. We pray in the spirit. We produce the fruits of the spirit. The Great Commission is that we make disciples. Our job is that we move forward. And guess what? The gates of hell will not prevail against us because we are going to move forward in the Spirit. Our job is to make disciples. It is to build the kingdom of heaven. And the only way we can do that is in the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit. Preaching the word of God, 
praying in the spirit because there is a major battle going on. If you can't see that, look at our world. It is good and evil. What he is telling him here is, Daniel, there is more than your eyes are seeing. There is a battle going on that you cannot see. There are territorial spirits that are maneuvering kingdoms of men against what God wants. But guess what? He's going to tell him in the rest of the chapter, God is in control. If you can't look at our world and tell You want to talk about people pulling global strings? They always say, oh, you know what? Now that your eyes have woken up, you can't unsee. There's this global group of people that are pulling the strings of the world. I don't doubt that for one minute. I think that's absolutely true. You can look at the United States of America and realize our leadership is a puppet. I get that. But I want to pull the veil back further. They're not in control. God is in control. There is a battle going on that we cannot see and they are attacking everything. They are attacking our identity. They are attacking who we are. And and what is that? How do I fight it? Well, Daniel, guess what he did? He humbled himself. He kept his pure heart. He humbled himself and he prayed. And he prayed. How much do you care? Do you really care? Are we just running our mouths? Because if we really cared, we would put ourselves in that position and we would be grieving and mourning over what we see and realize we're not fighting against flesh and blood. This is evil. They are redefined. And you're not going to debate evil. They're not going to see it. They're not. It's, they are blinded to it. They cannot even see logic today. And how are we going to fight it? We're going to fight it by keeping our heart pure. We're going to fight it by humbling ourselves before the Lord and knowing he's in charge and we are not. And we're going to fight it by praying in the spirit, preaching in the spirit, producing the fruits of the spirit. That is how, that is how we're going to fight it. And so you see Daniel, he brings his grieving heart to God. He goes out and I'm sure he had all of those thoughts in his head as he sees the river going by and God shows up in a vision. He knows where he was standing. He knows that day it scared the bejeebers out of him. And the angel tended to him and said, listen, you are dearly loved. And from the moment you sought to understand the cosmic battle is going on, you're so important that God sent me because he wants you to know a message. And that message is there's more than you can see going on. Trust me. And he's going to go on to talk to him about the book of truth. So be encouraged. I know that sounds crazy. Be encouraged because here's the thing. God wins. He does. He wins. And there is more going on than meets the eye. So I have to keep my eye here, right here. And not on what's going on constantly in this world. You want to talk about not real? That's the matrix. There's something real going on behind the veil. The only way I'm going to be useful in that battle is to not be distracted by the matrix and to 
pray in the spirit, seek the spirit, ask for the eyes to see and the ears to hear, guard my heart so that God can use me because he is the only way that true, he's the only one that truly knows what is going on. And as we battle and the end of all things, what do we know? He wins. He wins. And the only way we win is when we identify with him and what he did for us at the cross and we put our faith in Jesus. We're gonna see the rest of this vision and then we're gonna go into the vision in chapter 11. All right, Lord, thank you so much for today. God, clean up anything that is as clear as mud today in the eyes and the hearts of these women. Um, There's so much in this chapter. We know that we are not fighting against flesh and blood. There's no way. Lord, logic has been completely thrown out the window today. Our identities. There are distractions everywhere. I can feel in my spirit something is going on. But we can't always see it. And we feel so helpless sometimes to do anything about it. And Lord, I get just, I get distracted by the things of this world. Lord, may I walk in the spirit. I want to be able to hear you. I want to be able to be used by you. And although the river continues to go and you know the direction it's going, Lord, I want my days that you say are numbered. You know, every day of my life, Psalm 139, all of my days are in your book. I want them to count for you. Lord, I want you to break my heart for people. I want, I want you to help me quit worrying about the things of this world. We're in a battle, a cosmic life-shattering battle for the souls of people. And they are only going to meet you if I can display the spirit, not pull out the sword to build earthly empires, but to lay my life down. So God, I pray that you would use us all in a major way, that we would grow your kingdom as you battle in the heavenly realm that will be about making disciples in Jesus.